0: Pastor Ed Ray on being honest with the Lord. The point
1: is that she and us, we need to be honest about our issues and quit playing games with God. God has a solution when we stop living in denial. Denial is more than a river in Egypt, right? Denial is when we fail to confess to God what he already knows about us, that we are sinners and we need his forgiveness
0: son with hands and in this place got to dwell with man sick beel and the crippled stand singing hallelujah my kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice for everyone faith What happens when someone you don't know starts a conversation out by calling out a sin that you've committed? Did it lead to anger or hurt or embarrassment? No matter how it made you feel at the time, God was not surprised by it. In today's study, Jesus shares with the woman at the well the sin that she's committed. You'll also hear her response. Let's see what we can learn from it all as we join Pastor Ed now in John chapter 4.
1: Chapter 4, verse 15, John writes, The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come, literally come back here again. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have left your word for us that we might understand what it is you would have us do to serve you. Send your Holy Spirit now to speak to us that we might grow, that we might learn from you how we should worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A while back I read about how one of these verses that we just read caused a great problem at a wedding. It seems that a bride-to-be and her mother went to the cake decorator and asked the decorator to put on the top of the wedding case a verse from first John. First John chapter 4, verse 18. And they left and never saw the cake until the reception. Well, the person that was doing the lettering didn't know the Bible very well and didn't know there were three letters of John, John 1, 2, and 3. And so turned to this chapter of the Gospel of John and put on the top of the cake, verse 18, you have had five husbands. (laughs) And the bride didn't see it till she had been married and walked up to the cake with her new husband, the groom, and he said it, looked at it, read it, and turned to her and said, "Really." It took him a long time to accept that it was just a mistake. So when you get a cake decorated, make sure you get somebody that knows the Bible has multiple parts to it. Of all the encounters of Jesus with individuals, this is my favorite one. Favorite because it gives us an insight into who Jesus is, how he reacts to people. This woman we saw last time came to a well in the village that she lived in and she came at noon. And in this chapter, this section, we find out why she came in the hottest part of the day. She didn't come when all the other women came first thing in the morning. She didn't come in the afternoon for the evening. She came at the hottest part of the day, so she didn't have an encounter with the other women from the village, because they knew her living conditions. She was the object of their gossip, no doubt and she struggled. She arrives at the well this day, and she meets a man named Jesus. She has the privilege of having a personal relationship with God, speaking to her so her ears can hear, so she could see him. That's a pretty rare thing in the New Testament. He tells her about everything. He talks to her about water, but not physical water, he's talking about living water, spiritual water, something that you only have to drink once, he said, and then you'll never thirst again. She responds to God's plan of salvation, and she is saved by the grace of God that we see in this section. There's three parts to this section. The first part, convicting but not condemning, 15 through 20. The second part is about worship, worship in two various ways, truth and spiritual worship. And then the last section where Jesus declares, I'm the Messiah, I am God, the son. So the main reason that John presents this story, the writer of this gospel is to provide evidence that Jesus really is the God's son that he is the Messiah, he is the Christos, he's the Christ. This is perhaps the longest, clearest teaching on worship from Jesus' lips in the entire Bible. It's very clear. He speaks of worship eight times in this short section. And then he attaches a word to it that's unusual. He uses the word father, three times. That the worship that we do is towards the Father, the worship of Father God. Interesting. First, convicting, but not condemning. Verse 15. We actually looked at it last week, but we need to kind of go back so the story makes sense. The woman is talking to Jesus, and she says, because Jesus said he had water, she said, sir, give me this water, this everlasting water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Like Nicodemus that we saw in chapter 3, he didn't understand that Jesus was talking about spiritual things, not physical things. And, and Nicodemus said, how must I be saved? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he's confused. He says, I'm an old man. My mom's gone. What am I going to do to get born again? Jesus said, you must be born of water and of spirit this woman wants indoor plumbing she says yeah give me that i won't have to come all the way down here and be embarrassed by all these other women talking about me water at home to avoid coming to the well absolutely i need it jesus said to her go he changes the subject actually it's the same subject go tell your husband call your husband and come literally back here again so the woman wasn't following the spiritual purpose of Jesus' conversation, and so he abruptly turns the dialogue back to her. And he knew that when he said the word husband, she was gonna freak out, and she does. He uses his supernatural knowledge, the gift of knowledge that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to speak truth to this woman. But I want you to see how gentle he is. Go call your husband and come back again. This is another instance of Jesus saying, come to me. The word translated is unusual here. The original language is in thad, come back here, because that's the word that she had used in verse 15. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst and come here again to draw. He's using a play on words so she'll say, well, that's what I just said. The woman is tired of coming here. But if she'll bring truth here, she will receive everlasting life, everlasting water, living water. The point is that she and us, we need to be honest about our issues and quit playing games with God. God has a solution when we stop living in denial. Denial is more than a river in Egypt, right? Denial is when we fail to confess to God what he already knows about us, that we are sinners and we need his forgiveness. The woman answered and said, well, I have no husband. Notice she confesses. She confesses to God her sins. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, liar, liar, pants on fire. No, he didn't say that. There was a lot of options he could have said to her to condemn her. You sinner! Notice, he says, you have well said that I have no husband. He found something that he could agree with what she said. The guy she's living with currently isn't her husband. We might crudely say today she's shacking up with a guy. Why is God talking to her? He knows that she's a sinner. She's Tried various relationships. It didn't work five times. And now she's living with a guy without the benefit of marriage. Why would Jesus take the time to talk to her? It's even more powerful when you look back at what we looked at last time, where it says Jesus needed to go to Samaria, where she lived. This is an encounter with God that God planned. He made an appointment. She didn't know she had an appointment with God the Son, but he did. And it makes me wonder about how many times we've had people in our lives that God's brought into our lives so that we could see him more clearly. That's what's going on here. You have well said, find something you can agree on when you're talking with people that don't know God. It happens often. One thing we could agree on with her, Jesus said, was you are partly correct. You are not living with your husband.
0: You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, online at thepackinghouse.org. Let's rejoin Pastor Ed in our study of the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 18.
1: Then he drops... The bomb verse 18 for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband's in that you spoke truly now Jesus clearly has a word of knowledge he's God he knows her heart he reads her mind as well as you and I could read a newspaper first Corinthians chapter 12 lists that as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to you and to me if we'll ask for it not your husband Now, notice that Jesus rejects the idea that we have today in the 21st century. Some people say, well, I'm living with her. I'm living with him. And it's just like we're married. No. God says marriage is a covenant. It's an agreement made before someone else. It could be a pastor. It could be a ship captain. Today in California, it could be your great-grandmother. But you make a commitment to one another before God and another person. So she said, she's struggling. So she's trying to play a card that isn't quite true. She's going to talk about this. She's not being condemned because that's what Jesus said in chapter 3, verse 17. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have salvation. God doesn't come down on us. And she says, sir, this is almost funny. I perceive that you are a prophet. First she had called him a Jew, kind of a derogatory term in this setting, but suddenly she's slack-jawed, surprised, stunned. Put yourself in her place a moment. Wait a minute, how do you know that? You are a prophet. God must have told you. You know information about me that only somebody that knows me well would know, unless you're from God. And God begins to open up her mind right in front of us. She's uncomfortable, off guard, so she wants to change the subject. I often have that happen, often with college kids. They'll come and say, well, did Adam have a belly button? Really? Do you care? How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Can God make a rock so heavy that he can't pick it up? She's changing the subject. She doesn't want to talk about herself. She wants to talk about something else. And so she talks about worship. She says, our fathers, our ancestors, worshipped here on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem a place that one ought to worship. Jacob's well where she had come for water is right at the bottom of that hill. That hill is Mount Gerizim. And then what today is the city of Shechem or Nablus. And then this little village closer is where Jacob's well is. It's called Askar today. And you can go there. And the well is still there. Now she says that on the top of that mountain in the back is where our ancestors worshipped. She is a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. She belongs to a denomination, if you will, that only uses the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. This is the way the priests of that denomination, if you will, dress today. Here's some young boys who are, in fact, in learning for the priesthood. These are Samaritans. There's still several hundred of them in Israel today. And that's the place where she said that her ancestors worshipped. Now, in 1958, some archaeologists read this and said, "You know, we ought to go up to the top of that mountain, dig it, and see if there's a temple there." There is. There it is. Physically, the very thing she talked about 2,000 years ago—they've dug up. Here they are having a Passover service. Again, they have the Book of Exodus. They don't have the New Testament, they don't have the book of Psalms or anything to teach them how to worship. So they just do what they had done in the Exodus. They're sacrificing the lamb. You can't see it in the back of that picture because they didn't know about the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins. So they're still doing what had always been done. Our father's worship, now she's appealing to antiquity. She's trying to say, well, we're older in our relationship with God than you are. This is where Abraham came, and he sacrificed here on this mountain. So because we're older, we have a closer relationship with God. Several years ago now when we were doing our footsteps of Paul in Greece and Turkey, we had a guide, a Turkish guide who was a Christian, He was an Orthodox Christian and we had a woman with us who was actually the mother of a couple that goes to the church and they sent her there because she was Catholic and they were trying to get her saved and I'm teasing but that is why they sent her (laughs) and she was arguing with this guy the whole time and finally after about three days she said well you know you Protestants you just slipped in in about the 15th century we Catholics we've been in Rome since the first century and he'd had enough but he was very gentle he said ma'am i'm not a protestant she said you're not well i thought you were a christian he said i am i'm an orthodox christian what does that mean she said he said i'm a syrian orthodox christian i don't know what that means he said well we come from the city of antioch and that's the city on the modern syrian border where Paul and Barnabas left to go into Europe to spread the gospel. And they left three decades before Peter went to Rome. So we're older than you are. We win. (laughs) That's what's going on in this story. She's trying to say, well, we must be more correct than you because we're older on this mountain. Jesus gently says, verse 21, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah or Mount Zion, worship the Father. Now, he uses a word in the Greek language, gune, when it says woman here. It's of respect and actually endearment. It's the same word Jesus used when he was addressing his mother when she came to him For the first miracle she said you know jesus they're out of wine and and they need some and he said woman we don't really have an english word for it it's something like special lady or gentle lady it's not my time yet is what jesus said to his mother he uses the same word now think a moment this is the village outcast who cannot associate with the other women who has been divorced several times and is now leaving with a guy who's not her husband, and yet Jesus sees the possibilities of what she's going to become. That's the way he looks at you, and that's the way he looks at me. may not be where you are today, but he sees into eternity, and he knows the work that he wants to do in your life and in mine. None of us arrive on planet Earth We're all in process. God is making us to be more like it. You're here in this room right now hearing the word of God, the Bible. And he said that faith comes by hearing God's word. So something's happening to you. It's happening to me. My faith, your faith is being increased. When, When you look at that picture of that Samaritan temple that's 2,000 years old, and she said, we were up here, and then you can go there today, walk around it, It's real, it's physical, it's there. What does that do for your brain? Your brain says, this book just might be true. Archaeologists use it to find places in Israel today. You bet it is. Bet the farm on it. This book is real. This book is true. Neither on this mountain, neither the one both places would soon be obsolete is what she's saying. Here, where you guys are trying to worship, or down in Jerusalem. In fact, it doesn't matter where, it matters who you're worshiping. So, not just in a church. Worship can only take place in God's house. No. (laughs) In fact, Jesus is teaching just the opposite here. Well, it's a place like this where people are talking about God. No. Worship is for us to worship him. Jesus is revolutionizing this concept of speaking about the worth of someone, worship. In this case, the worth of God. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. It could happen anytime. Why? Because when you surrender your life to God, when I gave my heart to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in me and in you. The same Spirit, Romans 8 says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. And so you don't have to go somewhere to find God. He's in your heart. And He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to stop and pray, to stop and worship. It's not about where you are. In fact, God is saying your whole life is supposed to be worship. How so? Well, if you're a mom making bologna sandwiches for your kids, do it as unto God. If you're a mom who's a surgical nurse and you're going to be taking people's life in in your hands, do it as unto the Lord. If you're a guy building houses, a carpenter, do it as unto God. If you're a surgeon yourself, if you're an attorney, if you're a mechanic, Do the very best mechanical work you possibly can because you're doing it for Jesus.
0: As Pastor Ed just shared, our life needs to be a life of worship unto the Lord. Do all things unto the Lord. You're listening to Grow in Grace and part of a study in John's Gospel. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. on I built with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick, be and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love, and harmony I said let this world know me by your love